Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, is one of the most common respiratory diseases in the United States. Research on patients with COPD has shown a potential association between exacerbations and vitamin D levels. To find out more about this potential association, a research team recently examined the relationship between 25-hydroxyvitamin D and COPD outcomes, including lung function and exacerbations, among 1,609 participants in the spiromics cohort. To find out more about the results of the analysis, I will be speaking with the lead author on the study, Dr. Bobby Burks, who is a clinical instructor and pulmonary research fellow at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Burks. Let's dive into your study. To start, can you give us an overview of your study and how it came about? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a look at the spiromus cohort and the way the study came about is not actually through, there's an interest in vitamin D, but the actual interest of the group that I work in myself, Dr. Brad Drummond and collaborators, was looking at using a measurable component of the innate immune system called cathocidin as a biomarker for poor COPD outcomes or as a way to identify COPD patients with a high risk of exacerbation, accelerated lung function decline, development of COPD. The interesting thing about that particular peptide is that it's regulated um, by vitamin D. Vitamin D, or 125-hydroxyvitamin D to be more specific, is needed to promote transcription of the cathelcidin gene. So when you get cathelcidin, it kind of goes to reason that also looking at vitamin D in concert would be beneficial and would better help answer any questions around you know, what we can do with cathelcidin as a marker, can it be used to help us predict outcomes? So this is the vitamin D component of our larger, deeper dive into the antimicrobial peptide cathelcidin. And in the spiromics cohort, which is a multi-center American NIH and HLBI funded cohort of COPD participants with a wide range of clinical, demographic, biological data that's really been leveraged by many, many people, and there have been fantastic studies that have come out of it, looking at just kind of COPD epidemiology and some of the findings from that order shift to the paradigm of how we think about COPD. So this is my little contribution with vitamin D. Great. Let's talk a little bit more about your findings now. Specifically, you and your team found that vitamin D deficiency was independently associated with lower percent predicted FEV1 at enrollment, a predicted greater rate of FEV1 decline after one year, and higher odds of any COPD exacerbation in the prior year. Taken together, what do these results mean for clinical practice and how patients with COPD could be managed in the future? Yeah, so I think, again, this being an observational study, all of these are correlations, not necessarily are we making a causal statement. I think the interesting thing was to just take a strong cohort of spiromics and ask this question of the participants in the cohort. So I think from what it 
means kind of taken, all things considered, is that based on the correlations we see here, there is a consideration that people who are vitamin D deficient, meaning having lower than 20 nanogram per milliliter of serum 25 hydroxy vitamin D, may be at a higher risk for poor COPD outcomes. And the outcomes we observed are the ones you stated, an increased rate of lung function decline, lower lung function uh, at enrollment in this study. And I think that's really where the the most meaningful part of the story that we tell with vitamin D here comes from is that these folks seem to have an association with more rapid lung function decline when controlled for uh, clinically relevant co-variables. And actually, many thanks to our uh, statistician on the study, uh, Agath Seppi, we did some fairly advanced multi-level modeling to make sure that we kind of give a sound epidemiological answer to this question. What to make about that past history of acute exacerbations of COPD? You know, there's a lot of epidemiologic challenge in having a patient report one year of historical data. Certainly, the recall bias is something that we have to um, consider, along with any other things that may affect whether or not people in the study can give a year of accurate information about how many by count exacerbations they had. Did they have to go to the hospital, the emergency department? Is the little outlying kind of emergency department only hospital in rural North Carolina, does that count as an emergency department to these folks? I don't know. I mean, I couldn't answer that question myself. And, you know, did they get steroids? Did they get antibiotics? And they did that over the course of, you know, and made them think over the course of a, of a year. Now, going forward in spiromics, people are contacted quarterly and they're contacted by study coordinators. So actually the longitudinal acute exacerbation of COPD in this study is stronger just because of how it's collected. But I think I would actually, or at least when I look at it, and when I tried to, to talk about it in the discussion, I tried to separate lung function from exacerbations of COPD. I think, you know, we have a notable association between vitamin D deficiency and lung function not only lower lung function baseline, but lung function decline, I think there is a lot more to do with the COPD question in vitamin D because if you were to look for clinicians, um, there's a fantastic meta-analysis that came out in Thorax from Jolief that actually showed with the combination of the three trials, Lahauk, Martineau, and Rafik, uh, the three trials that looked at vitamin D supplementation, actually those with very severe vitamin D deficiency, less than 10 nanograms per milliliter, have improved exacerbation outcomes, less exacerbations um, with supplementation of vitamin D. So I just think that, you know, that is an ongoing question, at least an ongoing question for us. I think from this cohort, I think the lung function story is much more clear. And, and again, going back to the fact that we can't make a causal statement, obviously, it's just a correlation. As an aside, do you think that vitamin D levels could potentially be a diagnostic marker for COPD? So, yeah, so I think that one thing that where COPD care is progressing, because there's a lot of people that have also done fantastic research on comorbidities in COPD, I think where the care of COPD is going, and I can't tell you how much I'm on board with this, is thinking about it as really a systemic disease. Right. And I think that while we can't 
again, we can't make any causal inference based on this study. You know, in my practice, I've become more cognizant of making sure that my COPD patients have had vitamin D levels drawn to make sure they're not very vitamin D deficient. I think when we start considering, you know, all of the systemic primary care level things that we need to do as pulmonologists and as just physicians for COPD patients, smoking cessation, lung cancer screening, vaccinations, make sure there's no underlying cardiac disease. You know, I think that kind of on top of that, we probably need to start thinking, and especially, and this is more from actually the meta-analysis work of Julie, if we need to start thinking of, do we need to monitor to some extent what a COPD patient's vitamin D is? Again, that meta-analysis that I brought up at less than 10 nanograms per milliliter, you know, there was a response to vitamin D supplementation for improvement in exacerbation outcomes. In an earlier iteration of this study, instead of having the continuous vitamin D outcome, we actually had categories, so less than 10, 10, 20, 20, 30, greater than 30. And the folks in the spiromics cohort, when we broke people down, there were only 26 people with vitamin D levels less than 10. And if you look at the, especially the LaHalk and the Martineau trial of vitamin D supplementation, LaHalk was 2012, I think, in Annals of Internal Medicine. Martineau, I should know this, but it's 2015 or 2016 in Lancet Respiratory Med, I believe. The starting level of the participants in those studies were around 20 nanograms per milliliter. So they were almost not deficient. And with the meta-analysis, adding more power to that very deficient group, the less than 10, you know, there seems to be, that's where there you can get bang for your buck, if you will. Likewise, when we separated these spiromics people and we looked at our point estimates of, you know, who has a higher odds of prior exacerbation, who has a more rapid lung function decline, the less than 10 folks seem to have the biggest, you know, the, the point estimates that were the, the furthest away from the null, basically. They had a higher odds of exacerbation, a, you know, more rapid lung function decline. However, you know, there's a weakness in that, in that, the point estimate was remarkable, certainly the because there were only 29 people in that subset, it wasn't statistically significant. And what the question I asked myself is, if we had more people in that subset, would our confidence interval shrink? And now we have a statistically significant finding that's notable because we found that there's more severe outcomes in people with vitamin D less than 10 nanograms per milliliter, or with more people in that subset, would our point estimate shift more towards the null and kind of meet up with the people from 10 to 20? So I think that it's important to, I think in the care of a COPD patient, it's important to look at, but I think from the epidemiological standpoint, I think we need to better define the severely deficient less than 10 nanogram per milliliter people with vitamin D. And I think that's where a lot of the value and supplementation will come from. But for practitioners right now, kind of making my very long-winded story short, when you think through your COPD patient, just making sure that they have guideline-based vitamin D deficiency screening, I think is more than reasonable and should be something in the front of the mind of somebody who provides care to COPD patients. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So what baseline characteristics or risk factors might have predicted vitamin D deficiency or decreased lung function among the spiromics cohort? 
looking at our table one, the things that were associated with vitamin D deficiency were young age with the caveat that if you look at the spiromics cohort, and because of the the progression towards modeling based on clinically significant co-variables, a lot of kind of more epi studies from that cohort have very similar, use very similar covariates, and it makes sense. There is roundly worse outcomes, whatever the outcome that's being looked at among young people. So it may just be a survivor effect in the cohort. But in our at table one, much like a lot of other spiromic studies, young people tended to have a higher rate of vitamin D deficiency. Obviously, people who are active smokers were more vitamin D deficient. Folks with lower income, you can assume that may be due to dietary reasons. And folks who had their blood drawn in winter, less sunlight, and black participants. With the caveat, again, that there is a chance for the protopathic effect where are these factors causing vitamin D deficiency or is somehow vitamin D deficiency more associated with those factors themselves? But that's what we have from K1. And the younger people in this cohort have lower lung function as they tend to do and just kind of the larger sperms cohort in general. Otherwise, you know, the things that predict decreased lung functions are the things that you would think how, how long you've smoked. If you're looking at lung volume, females tend to have lower lung volumes just kind of by body size. This is why we use percent predicted as, a, as an outcome rather than total FEV1. Mm-hmm. And you had briefly touched on this before, but I wanted to circle back to it. So you had mentioned that people with COPD tend to be older and have a longer history of smoking. Older people are also more likely to need vitamin D screening. So do you think that vitamin D supplementation would improve COPD exacerbation rates among this population? So it couldn't hurt, right? It is a, especially in people who have reasonable renal function, it's a low cost, really low risk intervention with literature coming out showing potential benefit. Um, You know, and I think that those of us that work with vitamin D deficiency in COPD, I think the biggest challenge for us is really finding out who would get the greatest effect from supplementation. If you ask me right now, if I had to put my nickel down, I would say that there's, you can probably get, it's probably very important that people with vitamin D uh, levels less than 10 nanograms per milliliter are supplemented. I would say that obviously for the multitude of benefits you get from vitamin D, you know, anybody who's deficient should be supplemented. But then the question becomes, well, what's your target? Is it just putting them on a course of supplementation? Is it raising their vitamin D level X amount? Is it just getting them over a threshold of 20, getting them over a threshold of 30? You know, I think there are questions still to be asked. Thinking about vitamin D deficiency in a COPD patient is kind of part of the little bit of a checklist we all do when we go through the COPD-associated comorbidities or kind of longitudinal care issues, why that can't be part of it. It's a blood draw, which is not always pleasant for patients, but you know, I think that either making sure that they're having it done through their primary care or doing it yourself is a reasonable thing to do. Do I think we're going to make COPD exacerbations go away forever with vitamin D supplementation? Probably not. 
but it can be part of the multifactorial approach to preventing exacerbations, for sure. Absolutely. So overall, what would you say is the key take-home message from your analysis? Thinking about and considering vitamin D deficiency and you know, supplementing people who are vitamin D deficient can be an important part of taking care of a COPD patient. They said, I don't think it supersedes anything else that we do for COPD patients, kind of like what I listed out before. But I do think it's something to consider putting on that list. Um, I do think it's something to consider, you know, does this elderly person who had two exacerbations in the last year, who doesn't get outside much and has poor diet and has sarcopenia and scores high on, you know, the cat and is just generally ill, you know, when you're trying to get them back on their feet because they have grandkids they want to hang out with or, or whatever else, and they're motivated and, and, you know, they want to go to pulmonary rehabilitation where there's also some vitamin D work with muscle strength, you know, and you're going through the, like, the list of what else is smoking cessation all the way down. I think adding vitamin D deficiency and subsequent supplementation, if warranted, to that list is a reasonable thing to do in this instance. That's the great thing about working with COPD, too, is that's kind of a, that's a message you can I would like to, you know, kind of blast kind of widely at something, you know, that goes for, that could go for any of the CPD experts in, in the world down to, you know, people working in community clinics in rural North Carolina, it, you know, as primary care providers taking care of just kind of the community at large. I certainly don't want to inflate the importance of my correlations that I found or the exacerbation data from the Jaleef paper and say that this is going to change COPD as we know it, but I do think it's reasonable to have this on the list of things we do for COPD people. Great. Thank you again for speaking with me today and sharing your insights on your study. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.